This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. قالوا يا أبانا إنا ذهبنا نستبق وتركنا يوسف عند متاعنا فأكله الذئب وما أنت بمؤمن لنا ولو كنا صادقين وجاءوا على قميصه بدم كذب قال بل سولت لكم أنفسكم أمرا فصبر جميل والله المستعان على ما تصفون رب شح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد ونسجن ببري السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Our Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said أتيت جوامع الكلم I was given words that gather lots of meaning they say comprehensive words, meaning few words, but they have a lot of meaning. And that's really what the Qur'an is. A lot of times when you guys and me read a translation, it seems like some event that may have been, or some scene that may have taken an hour or more, is being described in a single line. But if you pay attention to the wording, you'll find details that even if you had the entire transcript, you wouldn't be able to capture. Allah has a way of translating events in ways that human beings aren't capable of. And that's really one of the unique features of the storytelling in the Qur'an. In the last session, I talked to you about how the brothers of Yusuf السلام, came to him and uh, you know, came to their dad and gave him this concocted story while they're crying and they're, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, dramatizing how broken up they are about the fact that they can't find him and a wolf has devoured him and all of it. And part of its meaning, you know, the language was, وَمَا أَنْتَ بِمُؤْمِنِ لَنَا you, And you're not going to be believing us. I remember I told you, you're not going to be believing what we're, what, what we're saying. Um, in Arabic, when you say to believe in someone or to believe someone, then typically the ba is used. So mu'minin bina, uh, to believe in Allah, for example. right? But when the lam is used with iman, then actually means to give in to what someone's saying, to surrender or to, to, to cave. So for example, in the story of Musa salam and how he challenged the sorcerers, when the sorcerers saw that the staff has turned into a snake and swallowed all of their ropes and rods, they fell into sajda, if you remember. They fell down on their ground, they bowed their faces on the ground. And when they did that, and the Pharaoh was shocked, he was offended that they gave up so quickly. So he said to him, said to them, Amantum lahu, not amantum bihi, but amantum lahu qabla an adhana lakum. Did you surrender to him before I gave you permission to? Not just did you believe in him, but did you give in to him? Give in to him. Similarly, you know, uh, Musa salam had um, commanded the Israelites, at one, they, had a, they had a dispute among themselves, and he had commanded them to slaughter a cow. Allah has told you to slaughter a cow, right? And, and at one point, even the commandment from Allah was, take your own people and kill yourselves, the ones that have committed such crime. And they said, لَن نُؤْمِنَ لَكَ which means, that doesn't necessarily mean we won't believe you until we see Allah face to face. Actually means we won't surrender into your demands until we see Allah face to face. So when, when 
amana comes with lam, it actually has to give, mean, gives the meaning of giving up or surrendering or caving. That's the kind of the implication along with believing. So yes, translations say, and you're not going to believe us even if, we're, even if we had been telling the truth. Remember I said that? But also the implication is, you won't surrender to us. You won't just cave. In other words, dad's not buying it. Can you just give up arguing? We're telling you the truth. For God's sake. And even if we were, you, wouldn't, you just won't give up, will you? So they're getting frustrated that he's not buying into it. He's not surrendering to their version of reality. And the, his, his refusal to surrender is inside that little lamb, that tiny little preposition, وَمَا أَنْتَ بِمُؤْمِنٍ لَنَا وَلَوْ كُنَّا صَادِقِينَ Now, they're not giving in. And now comes the next part of the equation. Now, it should be noted that in our traditional tafasir, you know, Sheikh Suhaib is actually working on a, you know, uh, He's already published one part of the translation of Imam Fakhruddin al-Razi's brilliant tafsir, uh, you know, the Fatiha, and he's working on more. And his notes on even Razi from this surah, where I was going over them with him and, and even by myself, you know, there are lots of narrations about how, what went down in this story, right? And we can't entirely authenticate them, we can't rely on them. They're not at the level of like a sahih narration, but they are found in our tafsir literature. So there are reports like when they were taking him to the well, one brother was beating him up, and when one was beating him up, he would run to get protection from another one of his brothers, and he would beat him up just the same. So he was kind of bouncing around looking for someone to feel safe with, and eventually they dangled him over the well. By the way, that part's in the Bible too, which inshallah you'll see tomorrow. But, you know, they dangled him over the well. Then they lowered him half the way. And when they put him halfway down, they pulled his shirt and they pushed him down. And in, an, in another narration, even when he tried to come up, they tried to hit him with a rock over his head and kill him right then and there. And one of them stopped. No, 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 you weren't going to kill him, remember? And the, the kind of, this kind of a scene happens. We don't have those details in the Qur'an, nor is it entirely authenticated. But these are kind of reports depicting that scene where, you know, they, they were doing what they were doing. And part of that is when they came, uh, in one narration, the, the father asked for the shirt. This is why I brought this up. So the father said, did you, you know, where's the shirt? Which to me already sounds suspect. Why would dad ask for the shirt? So I, I, have, a, I have trouble accepting such a narration only because of how not so plausible it is. Where's the body? Where's he? Where's the rest of him? Where's his remains? Not just what? Where's the shirt? That, that doesn't sound like a logical question from a father who just heard a wolf ate my child. Well, at least did you bring the shirt back? That doesn't sound like it's coherent, right? So, but regardless, what it does seem from the Qur'an, and this is my reading, is not, I'm not telling you this is exactly what happened, but from the way the text seems to flow, what, what I can extrapolate to the best of my ability, and from my own reading, what I can gather is that when they wouldn't, when dad would not believe them, and he wasn't giving in, you won't even, you know what? We even have a shirt. So it's not like he asked for the shirt. They kind of brought it out as their trump card, pun intended, to convince them finally of a terrible lie. Right? So the idea was this is, if nothing else convinces him, backup plan will have this shirt. If things go really bad, use this. Right? Because the thing is, even bringing a shirt, let's the idea, I mean, you guys know the story, they brought a shirt with fake blood on it. And we'll dig into the language of fake blood too. There's some interesting literary devices there. But before we go there, I mean, the idea of bringing a shirt means you could have brought more than just a shirt. Because the wolf didn't just leave a shirt behind. 
You know, there's torn pieces of flesh, there's bone, there's something. I know that's graphic, but how did you just find a shirt and nothing else? And how did a wolf get away faster than all of you while ripping a child away from you and you can only get to the shirt? And it's not like wolves first take the shirt off and then eat, to, <laughs> eat their prey, you know? They can spit that out later. So there was a, there's lots of problems with this alibi of theirs that they came up with, this version of the story that they came up with, that they didn't realize at the time. I also don't believe that there are some tafsir opinions that when they brought the shirt, they, that, that it didn't have any holes in it. I do believe it did have holes in it. You know, um, Ibn Ashur rahimahullah also says, if they came, went out of their way to make such a diabolical plan, I'm pretty sure they didn't just take a shirt and spray some blood on it and say, here. It was a little more elaborate than that. And it seems that they've been scheming for some time, right? So now we're going to get to this ayah where, first of all, it seems that Yaqub is giving them a hard time not accepting what they're saying. Which means that they are trying one way and another way and another way of convincing him. Come on, dad, this is really what happened. Now there are already, from a psychological point of view, there are already giveaways that they're lying even without the shirt. And even without them saying, you won't be believing us. Or, or even if we're telling the truth. That part, even if we're telling the truth, is kind of a giveaway. But even without that giveaway, the fact that they said, you won't even believe us. You won't even believe us is a, is a big problem. Because that should not even be, like I said yesterday, it shouldn't even be on the radar. The only concern you should have is the tragedy at hand. And the concern is not whether dad will believe you or not. Right? So... If, if, and like, think of it in real life situations. If an emergency happened, if a car accident, if something happened, right? And you have to tell a family member. Your concern is not whether or not they will believe you. Your concern is, I'm at this hospital, I need you to come. Or this has happened. You're not going to go out of your way to convince them. And if you are going out of your way to convince them, that means your concern is convincing, not the tragedy at hand. Right? So that's also kind of a dead giveaway and the dad sees through it and he's not buying into their, their nonsense. So now, the, you know, scholars discussed, this is my you know, reading from the text of Allahu Alam, how he knows that they're lying. But Imam Razi also adds a few other reasons why, he belie- why, why did Yaqub not believe them? He asked himself that question, why did he not believe them? And he has some additional answers, I want to read through them for you, at least a couple of them, two of those answers I think are worth discussing. First of all, because dad was already familiar with the envy that they carried, and the spite that they carried, and the ill intentions that he knew long term, and he was guarded about, and he only let that guard down for a little bit because of benefit of the doubt. That momentary lapse that he had. So that doesn't erase the, you know, the, the, the state of code red that he was carrying with in, in his mind all that time. Right? So that's one reason he doesn't believe them. Because he's already familiar with their intentions and he's already expressed that concern. The second is very interesting and I think it's important to note here. When Yusuf salam told his father the dream, the father said, that is how your master is selecting you. And is going to be you know, and he's teaching you the interpretations of all kinds of speech, and he will be completing his favor on you, just like he completed it on your fathers. Remember that conversation? And he'll complete his favor on the family of Yaqub. Now, Yaqub is a prophet of Allah, and a prophet of Allah does not speak about the unseen unless he has knowledge of the unseen given to him by Allah. So there's no way he's talking about a great future that Yaqub, that Yusuf has, without adding the word hopefully without saying inshallah, 
without saying I pray, he's actually saying it like a statement of fact. Allah is selecting you, he's going to be teaching you the interpretation of all kinds of speech, he's going to be completing his favor on you, just like he, and on the family of Jacob, and the entire family, just like he did on your fathers. Your, your master is knowledgeable. In other words, it, you can also read that in Rabbaka Alimun Hakim in that ayah, he ended that promise to Yusuf by saying, your master is knowledgeable, wise, meaning this knowledge that, I'm, that I have, that this is going to happen to you, isn't my knowledge, it comes from Allah. Allah in His wisdom has given me the knowledge, He gave you this dream, and because of this dream, He gave me the revelation to tell you this. Do you understand? So the validation that's coming from Yaqub may also be divine inspiration, it seems. And if that's the case, then Yaqub knows he's not getting killed in no well. And he's not, he's not getting eaten by no wolf. He already knows that. He has, he has knowledge of that from what? From revelation. So when they're coming and telling him that a wolf ate him, he already sees right through it because he has something much more powerful than their word and a shirt, and that's the word of Allah. And in it, there's a profound, there, there are two profound lessons here that we should, we, we should take time to really contemplate. The first of them is, when you find a promise in the word of Allah, it doesn't matter how compelling or how, how, how bullying or how pressured the reality in front of you is. That doesn't stand in front of what Allah has given you. And Allah does not reveal to you and me like He did to Yaqub we're alhamdulillah not prophets. That chain has come to an end. But we have the word of Allah with us. And sometimes the word of Allah has promises for us. Sometimes the word of Allah has guarantees for us. It does. You know, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا Whoever remains conscious of Allah, Allah will make a way out for them. That's a guarantee from Allah. Okay, so taqwa means you're going to obey Allah, you're not going to do something that He doesn't like, and when you do that, He will make a way out for you. That's His guarantee. Now everybody's pressuring you to go against Allah's way because you need to find a way for yourself. You got to live, man. What are you going to do? You're going to stay like that forever? And you're like, no, but Allah guaranteed. No, but Allah guaranteed. I'm like, but that guarantee hasn't happened in two years. What are you going to sit with that guarantee? Enough taqwa already. Where did that taqwa get you? And people are going to make a really strong case for you to let go of your taqwa so you can, so, so you can not hold on to Allah's word and you can take their word or your own feelings. You can put something above the taqwa of Allah. What are we learning in this story? He has a promise from Allah, right? And that promise from Allah will not let him, sh- that will shape his view of reality and nothing else will change that view. And that's a powerful lesson for you and me because what we're learning is the word of Allah presents a certain world view. It's, it makes you look at reality a certain way. And when your connection to the word of Allah gets weak, then reality looks very different. Like it's the same reality, but if you have Qur'an glasses on, it looks different. When you take the Qur'an glasses off, it looks different. And those Qur'an glasses, they get rust, they get dust on them. You know, they, they, once you have them on, it doesn't mean they stay on. You have to refresh them and clean the lens constantly, so you can see reality through the word of Allah. And there are people that want to make you dismiss the word of Allah. They want you to think that the word of Allah is not that important. You're overthinking it, man. You're putting too much importance on this. You're being too religious. You're being too extreme. This is, this is not what Allah wants for you. Let me tell you what Allah wants for you. They can speak on behalf of Allah better than Allah can speak for Himself. That's what people will do to you. And you have to watch out for that. And you have to hold on to Allah's word no matter who gets upset. And they say, you won't even believe us? You won't even side with us? 
And they'll get angry. And what, what you're learning from that too, is that when you hold on to Allah's word, loved ones will be angry. There will be people close to you that will get upset with you. They're not going to be happy about it. And that's going to be a challenge. And if that's a challenge for even a prophet to hold on tight while he's getting hammered by his own sons, then who are you and I? We're going to get slammed with this stuff. We're going to get slammed. Another thing that was from a previous conversation that I didn't bring up, but I, I, and I only alluded to it, but I think it deserves attention before we you know, carry on with the, with the shirt part of the story and Yaqub salam's response, is that they came to him crying. And I told you Allah made it a point to describe the crying, right? Now what that is, is emotional manipulation. And emotional manipulation means somebody can come to you looking like a victim while they are the criminal. Somebody can come to you to manipulate your emotions, they can come with tears, they can come with a sob story, they can come looking like they're the ones that got beat up, they're the ones that are, you know, that have been victimized from every way, and that's their way of getting away with the worst crimes. And that's actually a theme in this surah. They came like victims crying. How could that have happened? We're so traumatized, our baby brother. Well, they're the monsters in the story, at least in the beginning. And later on, you're going to find a woman who's going to cry her heart out in front of her husband. What do you think you should do with him? What he tried to do with your family? And she's going to cry. She's going to, she was the one going crazy and she's going, to, she's going to put on a show. That's what she's going to do. So the, the criminal can be very good at portraying themselves as a victim. They can do that. And... What the, what the world usually does, look, look at where we are in the world today, you can watch a video of somebody crying, and you're like, oh my God, what they've done to this person. It's so wrong. I want to sign this petition. Look at their tears. And then two months later, it turns out they were a con artist, or this or that, or it was the, it was the other way around, or they weren't illegally fired, they're the ones that were embezzling funds, or whatever else, and the world is like, what? But it's so, it, I just felt like it's real, you know? I felt it. You felt it? Now justice comes from your feelings. It doesn't come from evidence. And somebody can play with your feelings and you can create justice and injustice. That's mob mentality. That's not justice. You know? If, if a judge is standing there, sitting there in the courtroom, imagine a judge who has to judge between families, a family court, right? Custody court, divorce court, these kinds of courts. And, you know, the, the, the father comes in crying in tears and the mother is completely calm. And the, the judge starts thinking to himself, this mother is heartless. Look at this poor father. And the reality, maybe the father beats the kids. And the reality, maybe the, the mother is not going to use emotional manipulation. If the judge start, starts looking at emotional cues to make verdicts, then justice is gone. And that's the same thing inside your family and in your, fam- in, in your personal relationships. There are people in your social circle that use these kinds of things to get their way. They use these, these tactics to manipulate. And by the way, one emotion is mentioned here. Which emotion? Crying, right? Crying is, is appealing to your pity. But by just mentioning crying, the manipulation is not limited to sadness. Somebody can manipulate you by sounding really angry. They're doing the wrong. You're the one who should be angry. But they can flip that and get angry at you. And now you start questioning yourself like, wait, uh, uh, maybe my anger is misplaced. Their anger is more stronger than mine, so they must be right. <laughs> right? 
So some, because you know in sports they say the best defense is offense, that's what some people do. Instead of me getting on the defensive and admitting I'm doing something wrong, I'm going to dig my heels in deeper and get even more offended. Right? So here you are, somebody's being abusive in some way, and you, you know, when you say, hey, I don't think what you said was right, I, I don't think that's the way to say that, or I think that was a little bit rude what you did to your mother or whoever else, and the person says, I can't believe you spoke to me this way. You know what? This is, that's it. I've had enough of you. And they start getting, and you're like, did I do something wrong? Did I? You start questioning yourself. <laughs> this is what they want. They want their father to budge. But the problem is he's not budging. He's not giving in to that game. So they're like, you're not going to surrender to us? Even, even had we even been telling the truth, meaning our drama didn't work, and even if we had the truth on our side, it probably wouldn't have worked with you. You're too stubborn to give in. Okay, you know what? Bring out the nuclear weapon. That's the shirt. Those of you that are Arabic students, the way that I uh, read this, I discussed this with, uh, you know, Sheikh uh, Sahib also, and he cited something from Ibn Ashur, hashtag validation. So, ja'a, the verb means to come. But when ja'a comes with the preposition ba, it means to bring. So, actually, ja'u bidamin kadibin ala qamislihi. They brought, here's the thing, a lot of translations say, they brought uh, his shirt with fake blood, with false blood, yeah? But actually, they brought false blood on his shirt is the actual phrase. They brought false blood on his shirt, or they brought on his shirt false blood. That's actually the literal reading of the, the ayah. Now, why is it important? Did they bring the shirt or did they bring the blood? Right? That sounds like a semantic thing, it's insignificant. But I do believe it is significant. Instead of Allah saying they brought a shirt, his shirt, Allah said they brought false blood. They brought false blood. And then they say they brought, Allah says they brought false blood on his shirt. Now the on his shirt part is actually, you know, muqaddam. It's, it's placed earlier than expected. And what that does in Arabic is it puts some sort of stress on it. What that to me suggests, Allahu A'lam, is that Allah is even offended not only did they hurt him, but they tried to strip him of his dignity too. Like they took a shirt from him, you know? And again, we, I don't know the authenticity of these narrations, but it has been narrated in some of our classical tafasir that as he, they were t- ripping his shirt off of him, he said, can you leave my shirt with me so I can cover myself? And even if it's not authentic, you can imagine a child saying, can you not take my shirt? Please don't take my shirt. You know how, if you have kids, you know, if, you, if your kids are changing their clothes and you accidentally walk in, are they not embarrassed? Are they not humiliated? They might even start crying. Kids have a natural sense of shame. And that too inside of the home. Can you imagine outside? And some stranger is going to see this boy shirtless. You know? We're, we, you know, we, we're living in a, in a postmodern society where certain kinds of human behavior have been made normal, right? So, yeah, it would be totally inappropriate for you to be shirtless at a mall or at the school. But it's totally fine for you to be shirtless at the beach. So just change the background in Photoshop and appropriateness and inappropriateness changes. Right? Because it's, it's the same people looking at you, but since they're looking at you at a beach, it's okay. But if they were looking at you in the mall or looking at you somewhere else, that would not be okay. Right? So our standard of appropriate and inappropriate is just about what, ti- what, what, what time of the week is it? What day of the week is it? And what place we're in. That's not how appropriateness works. What is wrong in one place is wrong in all places. 
What is right in one place is right in all places. And Allah has put in human beings a, a desire to cover themselves. That's Allah put that in human nature, in children's nature. But when we, tar- when we start stripping that nature away from children, the first time you make them come out in a bathing suit and they're six, seven years old, a little girl, and you're making them wear these skimpy, horrible clothes, they're practically naked, they're shy, then you're laughing at them, why are you shy? Just be confident, it's okay, everybody's dressed like that. And eventually you strip them of not their clothes, but their shame. So they don't feel it anymore. They, they don't feel that sense of shame anymore. There's no hesitation left, you know. And then when you, so we can normalize things that are wrong and then they start feeling normal. But that doesn't mean they're normal. What did Allah's Prophet tell us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? كُلُّ مَوْلُودٍ يُولَدُ عَلَى الْفِطْرَةِ فَأَبَوَاهُ يُهَوِّدَانِهِ أَوْ يُنَصِّرَانِهِ أَوْ يُمَجِّسَانِهِ Every child is born on the nature Allah made for them. But then the parents can turn them into Jews or Christians or magic. What does that mean? Judaism became normal for them. Not from the way they started, but it was made normal. If religion can be made normal, fire worship can be made normal for someone, Hinduism can be made normal for someone, then indecency can also be made normal for someone. You can condition someone into what's the big deal. That's not, a, that's not so bad. You can do that to a child, but this is not that kind of child. He's been brought up in decency. And when you're pulling his shirt, there's a physical torment. There's the emotional terror of being in a dark pit. But there's also the humiliation of being unclothed. And so the ala qamisi, he is significant. That they have his shirt, not he. وَجَاءُوا ala qamisihi. And then, بِدَمٍ كَذِبٍ They translate this as, they brought false blood. Some false blood. And again, narrations say they slaughtered a lamb. or We don't know what blood it was. It doesn't matter what blood it was. But kathib is the interesting thing here. Kathib is what's called a verbal noun, an infinitive. Uh, in Arabic, they call that a mustar, which means falsehood. It doesn't mean false. It actually means falsehood. They brought blood that leads to more and more and more falsehood. The blood that embodies falsehood itself. It's not just false blood. But it represents falsehood altogether, meaning this one act of theirs is going to carry on just a continuous chain of falsehoods. And that's what they brought with them. The ultimate lie. And dumb also, you know, it's, it's, it's literary language I, I feel here. Allah Ta'ala Adam. You know, they, they in a sense do have blood on their hands. In a sense, for all practical purposes, they've killed him. They don't know any better. They don't know any better. And so they've got this murderous intent, which is inside the word dumb, and they've got this deceptive nature, which is inside kathib. You know? So they brought false blood, which is literally false blood, fake blood on the shirt, but that represents falsehoods that will continue for you know, ongoing. And so they bring this shirt to him. And he's, now their case, instead of making their case better, They've only made their case worse. And what is... Yusuf, Yaqub looks at this fake shirt and his first words are bal. Bal means... Let me give you a text in translation. Na'a. Na'a. No, 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 no. Bal is literally instead... No, and let me... Tafsir translate this for you. Tafsir translation of this for you will be 
No, what's really happened is, so what Bal means, no, this is all nonsense. Stop with these lies and let me tell you what's really happened. And now Yaqub is going to say what's really happened. And he says, So walat lakum anfusukum amra. Difficult phrase to translate. So can mean two things. I mean, let me actually give you a, a, a simple English translation for both ways. The demands you put on yourselves, the urges you've had inside of yourselves, have made you do something. Your own urges have made you do something for yourselves. And I don't know what that is. It's amran, which is nakira. So I don't know what it is. You've done something that you, you had some need inside of you that made you do this, made you do something. And this is not what it is. This is not what it is. Something else that you're not telling me. And what this also suggests, the other meaning of, of sawwala actually means, sawwala can mean to make adala, to make something even, or to make something easy. Meaning you've made some terrible decision easy for yourselves. It's clear that you've done something so heinous that should be so hard for a human soul to do. And yet you've made it somehow in your minds, you've created a logic, you've created a twisted poisonous thought process that made this decision and this action you've taken easy for yourselves. And you've made it sound like the balanced decision, the right decision. You've justified something just for yourselves and it's unthinkable. Amra. What this language also tells you is, tell me what it is. What did you do? This isn't it. What did you do? No, dad, it's, I'm telling you, this is what it is. You're not going to believe us? No, I don't believe you. What have you done? I know you've done something. No, dad, no. And you can imagine hours of, you need to just tell me, I'll go get him myself. Dad, where are you going to go? He's gone. There's nowhere to go. I'm going out. Go ahead. There's nowhere to go. He's, he's dead. This is the shirt. And he's going at them and going at them and going at them. And then he says, how can you have justified this to yourselves? Why can't you just tell me what happened? And they're not giving it to him. They will not, just like he won't surrender to their version of reality, they won't surrender their lie. And you know what? This is also something kids can do. Kids, sometimes they get caught in a lie. And they decide, they have to make a calculation. You know, like, I remember one of my kids, I won't name them, I won't even say the gender, because they might be watching. One of them, they missed like six homework assignments. And then, every day I ask, okay, did you do your homework? Yeah. You don't work? Yeah. Like even before I did you? Yeah. Okay. And then the teacher sends an email. Haven't done homework. Haven't done this. Haven't done this. So I sit them down and say, Did you do your homework? Yeah. No, you didn't. I did. No, you didn't. Why don't you believe me? I did. Um, you can cry, but you didn't do your homework. I did, I sent it. The teacher just doesn't get it. Um, no, your teacher didn't get it because you never sent it. But I did. Okay, show me where you sent it. Uh, and they're going, they know there's nothing there. It's not opening right now. Why can't you? Okay, how about this? How about you just tell me that you didn't send it? And what happened? What really happened? No, but I'm telling you I sent it. Because now once, you, once you've invested into the lie... Right? And you're already like neck deep in the lie. 
then you're like, well, if I tell the truth now, that's probably worse. So let me just stick to the lie and somehow he'll believe me. Let me just stick with it. And you have to do a lot of breaking. Breaking not by yelling and screaming. You can tell me. You're not going to get in trouble. But you know what's worse? You holding on to a lie. That's worse. But I'm not lying. <laughs> and it takes a while before finally there's a little chink in the armor. Sorry. You know, it's, it's not easy to break that guard sometimes because once you become pathological in your lying... And you get into that habit. And there are reasons why kids can become that way. But we're not talking about kids here. We're talking about adults. And adults can become even more adamant of holding on. Because now it's a matter of pride. What are we going to tell dad that you got us? Here, here's what really happened. We think that you're a lost cause. We were hoping you'd love us more. So we killed him. Actually threw him in a pit. Probably died though. But um, yeah, that's, that's, there you have it dad. They're not going to do that. So they have to dig their heels in deeper. And no matter, the more he insists, the more they have to, because you, you know why? Why? You have to say, why are they so adamant that they won't just tell him? Because you have to go back to one thing. In their minds, the most important thing is that dad should see them as innocent. Dad should see them as good. Yusuf makes them look bad, right? If they admit to this, they'll never look good to dad. So if they have any, and this whole thing they did was to look good to dad, right? So if they admit to dad that they've done what they've done, well, the impression of father looking down, looking up to you, or having hopes in you, or seeing you as Qawban Salihin, now that's gone down the drain. Not gonna let that, this is, that's gonna be mission failure. We killed him for nothing? No, he hates us even more. So they have to hold on to their mission agenda, and not let go. And the father... See, the language in the Qur'an is very brief. You have made something convenient for yourselves. You made something seem fair for yourselves. You have, your urges have compelled you to do something for yourselves. And I don't know what that something is. It's just one brief phrase. So it seems like from the reading, a shallow reading of the Qur'an, they said they brought the false shirt. And Yaqub said, Well, I guess that you made that convenient for yourselves. Well, sabrun jameel. That's not what this is. There's a long back and forth. And he's not able to get the truth out no matter what he does he's not able to get the truth out so this is me attempting to answer the question for a lot of people they say well Yaqub could have just gone out and looked for him or he couldn't he, he shouldn't have just had sabr he should have just you know uh, um, done something about it he should have done something he's his child he should have done something about it I would argue the way that the language is structured here he did everything he could because he can't, if, they're, if they did something out in the woods, there's no way for him to know what's really happened unless they tell him. And he's going at them and they're not giving in. And they're fighting with him, telling him, surrender to our version. And at the end of it all, you know, after just endless struggle with them to try to get the truth out and he can't get it out, here are the words that he says. He says, فَصَبْرٌ Jamil. And I, I titled today's lecture, How is Patience Beautiful? How is it beautiful patience? Sabrun Jamil literally means, so then, beautiful patience. Beautiful patience. That's a strange phrase, not even a sentence. Beautiful patience, what? What does that sentence even mean? And he doesn't stop there. He says, Wallahu al-musta'an. Only Allah's help can be asked for. 
only is Allah, only Allah's aid can be called upon. Alamatasifun against the descriptions you're giving me. So three things: beautiful patience, only Allah's help can be asked for, and then against the descriptions you're giving me. And the descriptions you're giving me, let's start with the last one. Alamatasifun over the attributions you're making, the descriptions you're giving me. Wasafa in Arabic literally means to describe. But in Quranic literary usage, wasafa is used when someone comes up with an elaborate lie. With an elaborate lie, that's called tasifun. And this is actually used for subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yasifun. When people make elaborate lies about Allah, saying that He has sons and daughters and partners, Allah says He is way too perfect over the elaborate lies they make. Same word. That's not some small lie, right? That's some elaborate lies. And they create entire mythologies about gods of this and gods of that. And, and their gods have children and their children have fights with each other. And they create an entire world of false gods. It's a pretty elaborate system of lies. You know, false god mythologies. That's described as tasifun. You know? And here... They've come up with a pretty elaborate lie and they're all reinforcing it one for the other. And Yaqub describes this as, you've done a pretty good job painting a very compelling, creative, false picture. And you're not letting go of it. And the only one who can help me now is Allah against this lie that you're committed to. By the way, how do we know that this is not just description, it's lie? In, the, in a hadith that came much later. This is a Makki surah. So this was given to the Prophet in the year of grief which is later in Mecca. Years later, the Prophet ﷺ is in Medina, and he has a month of grief. That month of grief is when his wife, our mother Aisha, was accused falsely. At the end of that accusation, when finally things came to like, a, like a, the climax, and they sat, you know, he sat in front of her, and he asked her herself, she was so offended. And when she was offended, she quoted this ayah. She said, she turned to her father and her mother and the Prophet himself, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and says, إِنِّي لَقَدْ عَلِمْتُ وَأَنَّكُمْ سَمِعْتُمْ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ حَتَّى اسْتَقَرَّ فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ I know, you've heard this talk. Until it's made a way deep inside yourselves. وَلَئِنْ قُلْتُ لَكُمْ أَنِّي بَرِيئًا Or, you know, وَلَئِنْ قُلْتُ لَكُمْ you know, if I, if I were to say to you that I am innocent, لا تصدقني بذلك. You, you won't believe what I say. ولا إن قلت لكم. And if, if I were to admit, وإن اعترفت بذنب. And if I were to admit to any sin, والله يعلم أني منه بريئة. And Allah knows that I have done no such thing. لا تصدقني. You'll believe me. والله لا أجد لكم مثلا She says to the Prophet ﷺ and her both parents She says, I swear to God, I don't even know how to describe you people إلا قول يوسف قول أبي يوسف لإخوته Except what I can think of is what the brother of Yusuf or the father of Yusuf said to his brothers فصبر جميل والله المستعان على ما تصفون Beautiful patience is all that's left for me Only Allah's help can be sought against the creative lies you come up with She quoted this ayah when she was put in a corner, she quoted this ayah. This is in Sahih Bukhari. Now, why is that important? That's important because Yaqub knows that they are continuing to make a lie. They're not just saying it once. They're holding on to it. And they're making it more and more elaborate. And they're not letting him see the truth of the matter. Now let's take a step back. You're in a situation, the only people who know the truth are the people that are the criminals themselves. 
the only people that can save, salvage the situation are the ones that have made it worse. And they're not cooperating with you. And there's no force, there's no government, there's no other compelling authority. You, anything you've tried to do and say and convince to get them to straighten their course is not working. What's the only source of help you have left? Allah Azza wa That helps you understand the phrase before, Wallahu al-musta'an. You have nothing, you have nowhere to go but Allah now. And it's also important that Allah is al-musta'an. And al-musta'an is the ism maf'ul from the same verb that we use in Surah Al-Fatiha, which is iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. Nasta'in, musta'an. It's the same, it's a related word. Now, it comes from the word aun. Aun means, there's, there's multiple words in Arabic for help. This is one of them. This word actually means, to, to give you an analogy, if I was sitting here and I wanted somebody to change my tires outside in the car, I would ask for help. That would not be aun. That would not be aun. Because I didn't participate. But if I went out there and I'm, I'm taking a jack and I'm trying to lift the car and I got so far and I can't lift it anymore and I say, hey, could you give me a hand? I was already doing everything I could and then I asked for additional support. That's nasta'in. Asking for help when you're already doing everything you can. When you say, Wallahu al-musta'an, it already means you're not taking a back seat. So the idea that Yaqub didn't do anything and then just ask for Allah's help is already false because Allah al-musta'an is used. Ya Allah, I'm doing everything I can, now it's up to you. Against these lies, what else? Where, where do you, what do you need me to do? Ya Allah, only your help can be resorted to. Some mufassirun, actually, uh, the opinion is floated that Allah... They say, why didn't he go look out for Yaqub for Yusuf Some opinion was because Allah told him not to because that was his trial. I don't believe that to be the case. I don't believe Allah Azza wa Jal commands a prophet to not look for his son or to put his keep his son in difficulty. You know, that's that's not you know. And if the comparison is made to Ibrahim and the command to slaughter, that is clearly revelation. There's no revelation here. There's no revelation here. And we can't assume such a heavy revelation, don't look for your son. That's a big assumption. That's a massive assumption. We can't make that assumption. So what, me, what seems to be clearly the case is, he, and by the way, if Allah, if Allah told him not to look, he wouldn't be asking for Allah's help against their claims. Then he would just say, whatever they did, they did. Allah has told me not to look. It would be a different response. It wouldn't be this response. This response contradicts with that opinion. You, you see? So he's, he's done everything he can. Now let's get to the heart of the matter. Beautiful patience. Ugly situation, isn't it? The, the word that doesn't fit in any of this context is the word beautiful. It just doesn't fit. <laughs> I understand sabr. Very hard to understand what? Jameel, beautiful. It's just it's not fathomable to the human mind to think of a situation like this one for a parent who's just lost their child. Many of you are parents. Can you imagine not knowing what happened to your child? Can you just imagine? And it's not just some strangers did this to your child. His own blood did this to you. Now you love your sons, so you can't avenge, because if somebody else hurt my kid, I'd go after him. But this is my own kid too. So the, the chokehold of emotions inside you of losing your child and your enemy that made you lose your child is also your beloved child that you love and you can't see them in harm's way either. The way that would choke you on the inside, the last word that comes to mind is beautiful. 
That, that's not the word that comes to mind. How, what in the world does he mean? This is like one of the most mysterious phrases for Sabrun Jameel. Imam Razi in a general sense describes what makes patience beautiful. Well, first thing that makes patience beautiful, he says, and he's not talking about the story. We're going to come to the story. But we're talking in general sense, yeah? And by the way, this phrase has been used for the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet was commanded, فَصْبِرْ sabran jamila. Exhibit patience in a beautiful way. Same phrasing. Sabran jamila. That's the, the, the maf'ul mutlaq to that wasbir in Surah Al-Muzzammil, I believe. Now, he says the first thing a believer, what makes a believer's patience beautiful is that they realize that whatever's happening happens by Allah's will and Allah does what He wants and I don't get to question it. Number one, I resign events to the will of Allah. That's his first response. That makes patience beautiful. The second is the one who I resigned it to, the situation, I'm letting go, I'm letting myself float, Allah will handle this situation, is that the one who's handling this situation is a lot wiser, a lot more loving, a lot more caring, a lot more, you know, see, a lot more knowledgeable, a lot more fair than I can ever be. So I've left this matter in someone's hands who's way more capable than I will ever be. I can have a sense of justice. I can have a sense of what needs to happen. I can have a sense of what's right. But way more than my sense of what's right is Allah's. A perfect knowledge of what's right. Allah's perfect wisdom, Allah's perfect love, Allah's perfect knowledge. I can love Yusuf, I can love somebody, but Allah's love for them is way more. Right? So that's the second thing that makes patience beautiful. The third, he says... I would argue, actually I added something here, I took one of his more abstract concepts out, is that the right kind of patience leads to beautiful things eventually. It may not be beautiful at the time, but it's patience that will lead eventually to beauty. And the only thing, and the thing is sometimes, uh, our faith, which is the most precious treasure that we have inside, this is not Imam Razi talking now, it's me from my understanding of Allah's book. Our iman that we carry inside of our hearts is like a treasure we're trying to protect. Sometimes that treasure is under attack because of a certain kind of emotion. It could be anger, it could be greed, it could be lust, it could be hopelessness, it could be sadness. Different emotions are trying to take light out of your heart. They're trying to pull light out of your heart. And in some situations, what makes... Iman beautiful. What makes, what, what, what makes you beautiful, me beautiful on the inside is the Iman inside our hearts. That's the most beautiful thing we have. Allah says, He made it beautiful inside your hearts. That's what Allah says. Sometimes, in order to protect that Iman, I have to control my emotions in just the, as hard as it is. I have to control my emotions and I have to stay the course because what I'm trying to protect is something very beautiful. I'm, there's something really beautiful inside and if that's gone, all beauty in life is gone. Everything is gone. It's also interesting that who he, the one he's lost is an extremely beautiful child. It's not an accident of words that he's saying patience that requires, you know, a beautiful form of patience is required. I've lost a beautiful blessing from Allah in the worldly sense and I need to replace it with something beautiful from Allah in the spiritual sense. And that's sabrun jameel. One jameel for another jameel. There's a walad jameel and there's a sabr jameel. There's a child that's jameel and there's a sabr that's jameel. Now the other thing about sabrun jameel 
is that he's telling himself something. Clearly, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you. I, I'm speaking with a great deal of confidence here. Allahu ta'ala alam. I don't think he sees anything beautiful in front of him at the moment. He doesn't. But he does have a promise from Allah. And the promise from Allah was, Allah will fulfill his favor on you like he fulfilled it and on, your, on the family of Yaqub. Just like he fulfilled it on your fathers, Ibrahim and Ishaq. Doesn't he have that promise? Isn't that a beautiful promise? I'm going to hold on to sabr because of the beautiful promise made by Allah. The words of Allah are so beautiful even though reality in front of me is so ugly. And that, that the beauty of those words will be enough for me to carry through this pain even though when I'm crying. How powerful is sabr and jameel? That he says, right now the only beauty I have left is in the promise of Allah that gives me patience. That's the only beauty I have left. I'm not going to lose hope in Allah. I'm not going to forget Allah's promise. I'm not going to have a bad opinion of Allah because of what's happened. I'm not going to say, God, how could you let that happen to my child? That's my baby. What did he ever do? What could you possibly be thinking? You know, some people think God is sadistic. They develop an ugly view of Allah. He's not going to let that happen to his heart. He's going to maintain a kind of patience that is beautiful, that keeps the, faith, the beauty of the faith inside him, the beauty with which he sees Allah. Inna Allah jamilun yuhibbul jamal. Allah is beautiful, he loves beauty. He's going to maintain that view of Allah. He's going to maintain the view of Allah's beautiful promise. Imam Razi even went as far as to say if Qur'an is describing there's such a thing as beautiful patience then that must mean there's also such a thing as not beautiful patience. That's <laughs> pretty wise. Because you could be patient and it's building bitterness inside you. You could be patient and it's making you angry. You could be patient and it's making you resentful. It's making you say things under your breath. It's always making you think of things in a negative way. You know? And that's, it's taking all the light from inside you away. Because, and you're saying, I'm being patient. It's patience, but it's not beautiful. And you know what's the, the last piece of this puzzle that I need you to understand? For myself and yourself. Crying for his child. Being devastated by the loss of Yusuf. Feeling the sadness and the tear that his sons have caused him. The trauma that they've caused him. The scars that he revisits every time he sees their face. Every time the lies come out of their mouth, the way it stabs him in the heart. None of that pain goes away because you have sabr. Sabr doesn't mean you don't feel anymore. Sabr doesn't mean everything's beautiful. That's not what sabr means. Sabr means I'm going to have sabr to preserve something beautiful. And preserving something beautiful can be very painful. That's, that's what that means. And just because he's going to cry so much, he's going to lose his eyesight, but he still has beautiful patience. He's going to be the one that says later on, إِنَّمَا أَشْكُو بَثِّي وَحُزْنِي I only complain about my grief and my overwhelming sadness to Allah. And yet he still has beautiful patience. You could, you could say, how can someone who complains have patience when they only complain to Allah? 
And they never complain to Allah with a bad opinion of Allah. You know, there's people who complain to a government, right? We demand blah, blah, blah. And when they complain, like the government's not doing its job. We have a right to complain. That's not how we complain to Allah, is it? Well, that's not how we complain to Allah. We complain to Allah, Ya Allah, you protect me more than anyone protects me. You provide me where no one provides me. You know me like no one knows me. And you know what I'm going through. Ya Allah, help me. Who else can I turn to for help? We don't ask Allah for help. We don't turn to Allah with our complaints with a complaining attitude. We turn to Allah and complain about our situation with beautiful patience. See those two things come together now? With beautiful patience we turn to Allah and complain. I've seen Muslims, Muslims I know, say, I don't know what Allah's plan is. <laughs> but I guess we, all we have to do is just be patient. I don't know if that's patience, but if it is, it's definitely not beautiful. <laughs> that's not what beautiful patience looks like. This is إِنَّمَا أَشْكُوا بَثِّي وَحُزْنِي إِلَى اللَّهِ That's coming eventually. فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ وَاللَّهُ الْمُسْتَعَانُ عَلَى مَا تَصِفُونَ I'm going to exhibit beautiful patience, meaning I'm going to do whatever I can because clearly getting these guys to admit what they did wrong did not change course. And this is the last piece I'll share with you. I know I've gone extra long today. Well, the last thing I'll share with you. You know, a farmer has to be very patient with crop. A teacher has to be very patient with students, right? Because it's a long project to mature something. To mature a student from knowing nothing to getting to whatever point you need them to get to is a long time. When people take somebody in their apprenticeship at a mechanic shop, you know, or a bakery or something, it's a long time before they can make the cake themselves. It takes a while. His, his sons, as messed up as they may be, are still under his apprenticeship, yes or no? They're still his sons. They still live with him. And if there is any hope of them changing course, that cannot happen if he builds a resentment towards them, even though he has resentment towards them, but if he makes that resentment so powerful that he's no longer able to be any source of good even towards them. Because if there's any hope, even, if the, even the Pharaoh can turn around, so maybe they can turn around too, and we know better, we... If, we, if you saw them and if you know the story then, you say, these, kids, these guys are beyond hope, man. That's just, that's just beyond evil. Doing this to a kid? But later on you see they redeem themselves, yes? They do redeem themselves. And the first thing they do is ask their father for, to make dua for them. That actually means the father remained true to his role as a father even though they didn't remain true to their role as sons. And that's part of Sabr Jameel. This is, please, please pay attention to this last part as I, as I explain this to you. Every relationship you and I are in, whether it's with my parents, whether it's with my kids, whether it's with my spouse, whether it's with my friends, my community, my coworkers, my business partners, whoever, whoever you have a relationship with, either you can wrong them or they can wrong you. And we're human, it's going to happen. They will do something wrong to you or you will do something wrong to them. Intentionally, unintentionally is not even the point. But right now, that's not the point. The point is, if someone has done something wrong to you, we have this tit-for-tat mindset. Well, they didn't give me their right, my rights. They didn't do right by me, so I'm going to do wrong by them. You can demand your rights. You can do that. But one wrong can never justify another wrong. One wrong doesn't justify another wrong. When someone does wrong, 
You can say, I no longer owe you. you. You're an employee, you didn't do your job. I no longer owe you to keep you hired. But it doesn't allow me to tarnish their name or go become vengeful. or That's beyond sabr. Sabr means I will react to what they've done, but I'll react within limits and I will not cross the lines that Allah has set for me. Just because they cross lines doesn't mean I get to cross lines. Just because they, became, they violated doesn't mean I'm going to violate. I'll stand up for myself. I will do that. But at the same time as I stand up for myself, I will not allow them. They, they, I'm not good to them or I'm not, I don't do right by them because of them. I do right by them because of Allah. I don't owe that to them. I don't owe that to Allah. And I keep that in mind. And that gives me the ability to have patience. Because if you think that you're doing right by someone because of them, well, nobody's deserving. Just like we're not deserving. But when you say, I'm doing right by someone because Allah is watching over me, then even if they're not doing right by you, you're still going to do the right thing anyway because Allah is the one you're answerable to, not them. You weren't doing it for them to begin with. You weren't doing it for them to begin with. Your intentions will remain clear and you're not going to develop an ugliness and a resentment inside towards them because your focus isn't them, your focus is Allah Azza wa فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ عَلَى مَا تَصِفُونَ فَصَبْرٌ وَاللَّهُ الْمُسْتَعَانُ عَلَى مَا تَصِفُونَ And this sabr is not easy. This kind of sabr and maintaining that beauty isn't easy. And therefore the logical progression, beautiful patience it is then. But this be- patience can't be beautiful unless there's divine intervention. So only as Allah's help can be sought. Especially against the ugly lies you're giving me. I'm being bombarded with the ugly and I'm trying to hold on to something beautiful. The only one who can keep this beautiful in my heart is Allah. That's the ABC of this ayah at the end. And that's Yaqub salam's response to his sons. So in, in summary, I, I leave you with the notion that I, 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 I'm suggesting humbly that Yaqub salam did not in fact just sit back and say, oh well, he's gone, what can I do? In fact, he tried every means possible to get to the truth of the matter. And when he realized no recourse is left, is when he said, I'm doing everything I can and I will continue to. Because sabr, by the way, also does not mean to sit back. Sabr means to persevere and continue on the right course. We think of sabr as, take it, take the hits. Defense, but sabr actually means you're pushing against the wind and you keep marching forward anyway. So sabr is not a passive thing, it's an active thing. And so when he says sabrun jabil, I'm gonna push forward. So to, to, for us to think that he took a passive role, I, I don't accept that he took a passive role. Allahu ta'ala a'lam. You know, and so he did that and as he's pushing forward, he asks Allah's help against the attributions that they make and it may even be that he's going out in the woods, we don't know. He's going out to look for for his son. And they're saying, no, 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 that's not here. We, didn't, we never went here. We never went there. And they're continuing to make the lies. They're continuing to you know, come up with creative concoctions. Allahu ta'ala alam. So you know, with that, inshallah ta'ala, we conclude our, our portion of the story that landed us in Egypt. So we're now, we, this was the last scene in Canaan. In Canaan uh, is ayah number 18. Uh, I told you guys, I have a surprise for you tomorrow. A good friend of mine, Brother Saqib, is going to be with me tomorrow. We're going to do a live session tomorrow. It'll be a different hour. I haven't figured out the hour exactly yet. But I think it might be my, or, or UK time, 4 p.m. I think it's UK time, 4 p.m., if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm going to go on a live session. And he's, uh, I'm going to introduce him, read a bio off uh, to you guys. And we're actually going to read the story from the Old Testament, from Genesis, with some Hebrew analysis of the actual Hebrew text. 
up until this scene where it corresponds with the Qur'an, and we'll do a comparison and contrast of the story from the Bible up until this point, inshallah. And then we'll go on to the rest of the story. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.